Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. We will be continuing our study, Christ Church, the dearest place on earth. We will continue that study in a very familiar place to those who have been here for some time. If you would, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. You say, preacher, was two years enough in the gospel, was not enough in the gospel of John? Obviously not. In talking about the church, we can't help but talk about what we are going to see in John's gospel today, as promised by Jesus himself. But in the study thus far, we have seen many things. And I want to give you, again, a brief review as we have done weekly so that we know where we are. We have looked at the basic attributes of Christ's church. What are the characteristics that we ought to have? I'm thankful that we see many of those characteristics here at Key Life Fellowship, and I do not take that for granted. It's a work of God, and, and we humbly approach God thanking Him for that and asking that He continue to give us wisdom and direction as we lead the people belong to Him. Then we saw the biblical assignment of Christ's church. That's make disciples, and it's pretty cut and dry. We are to make disciples for Christ, teaching them, Everything that the Lord taught, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and then we looked at the beneficial accountability of the church, where we love one another enough to tell one another the truth in love, to hold each other accountable, to encourage each other, to spur each other along in faith and good deeds. And then we saw the brutal adversary of the church, and we know him as the devil, Satan. Lucifer himself, the scripture taught us that week that he is a roaring lion, roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour anything and everything that he can, including you and your family, your home, and this church. And then we talked about the blessed authority in Christ's church, Christ, the head of his body, the one who is the husband to his bride, his Christ, that blessed authority. We could have spent days upon days upon days, even months and years, speaking of the glory of Christ. But then we looked at the blatant assault on Christ's church last week, how there are those who Jude said creep in unaware. Other scripture pointed us to the fact that they are those people who masquerade as angels of light, those false teachers introducing destructive and demonic heresy into the church, not attacking from without, but being planted within and attacking from within. And we saw the danger of that assault, and I pray that you are on guard against that. <clears throat> but today we are going to see that because we do need help in the war that we are in, the Lord has given us a gift. We're going to look at this gift today in, in a message entitled, The Bestowed Advisor in Christ Church. The Bestowed Advisor, a gift that we have been given, and that gift is none other than the Holy Spirit. 
I want to make this very clear in our teaching today and in my life and in your life. And the Holy Spirit is never a thing or an it, a second-rate person of the Trinity. He is the third person of a triune God, co-equal in his essence and his eternality with the Father and with the Son. And we're going to see in John chapter 14 that we have had the gift of the Holy Spirit bestowed unto the church by the Father, requested by the Son. What a beautiful thing it is to know that we have the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity living inside of each of us who truly have faith in Christ. Why? Because Christ promised that it would be so, as we will clearly see in just a moment. He has not left us alone. He has not abandoned us. But He has placed His indwelling Spirit in us to be our advocate and our advisor as we wait for the appearing of the Lord that we just sang about just moments ago. It ought to bring you great joy as a believer to know this, to know that you are never, ever alone. He said that I will never leave you and never forsake you. That His Spirit is indwelling each of you who have faith in Christ this morning. His Spirit is indwelling you and will always indwell the believer until He brings you home. And so we look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. It says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Very familiar verse there that Jesus gives to His disciples, but I want you to pay attention to what's going on here. What is about to happen is Peter is going to deny that he even knows Christ. All of them in the room, just like all of us in this room, would have to admit that we have failed God in keeping His command. But He doesn't stop there. He says this, I, I expect you to keep my commands. In fact, if you love me, you will. There will be a desire in you. But what a gracious God who says there will be a desire in you to keep my commands and I'm going to make sure that that desire is in you because my Holy Spirit is going to be that desire that lives in you, that transforms your desires into my desires. He says this, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He lives with you and will be in you. Church, highlight that. In. He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Again, a near prophecy and a far prophecy. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to rise from the grave. But not only am I going to rise from the grave, even when I rise from the grave and I ascend back to the Father, I'm not going to abandon you. In the context of the promised Holy Spirit, he's saying, I'm coming to live in you through the Holy Spirit who will live in and through you. He says, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He was talking again short term 
of His resurrection, long-term of the day of Pentecost, where the Spirit would descend upon all of the church in that day. They would receive His indwelling presence. And I want us to talk about that today in great detail as we look at this passage in light of many other passages in Scripture. Because oftentimes, because we are so opposed to the kooky, charismatic doctrines of today that call themselves moves of the Holy Spirit, we can in error become so afraid of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we no longer submit to or yield to the Spirit in our own lives as believers. Now, when you do that, you fall into a dangerous category. A believer who is ignoring the presence of God in your life at every turn. We don't want to fall into that category. We want to see that Jesus bestowed the gift of the Holy Spirit, our advisor upon the church, for a reason and for a purpose. In fact, many reasons and many purposes as we will look at today. And I don't want you to fall into the trap of, of being sound doctrinally, knowing the Scriptures, attending church and being obedient, and to miss out on the gift of the Holy Spirit that Christ has given to every single believer. Some of you, possessing the indwelling Holy Spirit at this time, yet not walking in His power ever. What a sad thing that that is. We see it so often in our time. We, as the church here at Key Life Fellowship, never want to be guilty of leaving the Holy Spirit out of this equation. He is the bestowed advisor that we see in John chapter 14 that Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father, and He is going to send a counselor to live in you. Brothers, sisters, believers in the room today, the Holy Spirit is living in you. We're going to see that in just a moment. You're not waiting for Him to come move in. If you're in Christ, He's in. Are you walking and the power that He provides. Let's look at that. The Holy Spirit is given to the church for some reasons. Number one, write this down, to empower the church. The Holy Spirit is bestowed on all believers so that the church will be empowered. And where would we be without the power of the Holy Spirit? We would just be dead intellects discussing a 4,000-year-old manuscript contemplating its pages. Yet, that's not who we are. That's not what we are. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has empowered and will empower each of you who are in Christ. To do what? I'm not like the charismatics say, to do kooky and weird and unbiblical things. The Holy Spirit will empower you first to preach the gospel. Oh, that is the first reason that we see that the Holy Spirit abides in the believer is to preach the gospel. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, if you will look there in your Bible, verses 4 through 8, it says this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Of course, that he there is Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. The gift, the gift of this advisor, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him. 
Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Oh, teach us some eschatology. Give us a left behind trilogy. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He says, why are you worried about those things right now? I just told you that you were going to receive a gift from the Father. That ought to be good news to receive a gift from the Father. Why? Because any gift that comes from him is a good gift. He goes on and he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get dynamite. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I am thankful here, a guy standing on the other side of the globe from where this statement is made, I am thankful that they understood the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel because here I am on the other side of the world receiving the gospel. Why? Because they trusted in the power of the Holy Spirit in them. They preached the gospel with power and boldness. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. Power to do what? Not like the charismatics say, as they try to come up with evidences of, speak, of, of the Holy Spirit, such as speaking in tongues, such as prophecy. No, Jesus says that the evidence of the Holy Spirit is boldness and power to share the gospel. It's interesting that they get in so many debates about what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit when Jesus so plainly says it. You'll share the gospel with power, dunamis, boldness, unashamedly. You know, I worry when I meet professing Christians that say, I, I just don't have the boldness to share my faith. Some of you use that cop-out. Why would you shortchange the gift that the Father has given to you, the bestowed advisor, the Holy Spirit who empowers you to be a witness? You've got one or two problems. A, you're quenching the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer who gives you boldness to be witnesses. Or, you don't have the indwelling spirit in you at all, proving that you were really not a believer at all. I pray that you would examine yourself to answer that question. Which one are you? Because the Holy Spirit lives in every believer to empower them to preach the gospel. Not only that, the Holy Spirit empowers the church to preach the gospel, but also to produce godly fruit. This is fruit consistent with conversion. I know we live in a church age and a church culture that fruit consistent with conversion is just optional in so many people's minds. I will tell you this today. It's not optional according to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit who lives in the true believer will be producing obedient fruit of righteousness in those who are truly saved. Because we cannot produce this fruit on our own. You know the fruit that I'm talking about, the fruit of obedience. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, after he tells us what the fruit, fruits of the flesh are, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things There is no 
law. He lets us know these things will be produced in the lives of those who have the indwelling Holy Spirit. I know what all all of you are doing, like I do when I read that. Well, I'm pretty deficient in this category, but there maybe is a little hope in, in this category. Well, the Lord's done a work there, and He's still working here. Be thankful that He's working. You're not a finished product yet. Anyone here been glorified yet? No, but be thankful that the indwelling Holy Spirit, when you are impatient, says, oh no, Son of God, that that cannot go on. This is an area that you must surrender to me so that I can make you patient so that they, they can see in you the fruit of the Spirit in the form of patience. Holy Spirit empowers the church to produce godly fruit in them. Just as Ezekiel said when Ezekiel was prophesying there in Ezekiel chapter 36, pay attention to this with me, verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel seeing the promise from afar of the indwelling Holy Spirit in God's people who will teach them to walk in fruits of obedient righteousness, bringing glory to God on this earth as they live. So the indwelling Holy Spirit, this bestowed advisor, empowers the church to preach the gospel. He empowers the church to produce godly fruit. If there's any good fruit in you at all, it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit living in and through you. And thirdly, The Holy Spirit is given to the church to empower the church to project God's glory. That is what we were created to do. It is the chief end of man to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we know who with unveiled faces, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. I want you to examine your life today as we look at this topic, projecting God's glory. Is there ever-increasing glory coming from your life? Are you bringing God more glory today than you did yesterday? this year than you did yesteryear as a believer. Because the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer will project God's glory through those believers. In fact, John Calvin, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, which we just read, says this. Pay attention to it. He says, observe that the design of the gospel is this, that the image of God which had been effaced by sin. Man was created in the image of God. Imagio Dei. And here's the thing. Sin corrupted that. Watch what he continues to say. He says that the image of God, which had been been effaced by sin, may be stamped anew upon us. That we are now being transformed again into our original glory. He goes on and he says, and that the advancement of this restoration may continually, may be continually going forward in us during our whole life. 
because God makes His glory shine forth in us little by little. And how does He do this? He does this through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Continually conforming you to what? To that which God desires. And what is it that God desires? Those He foreknew, He did also predestine to conform to the image of His Son. To reflect the glory of Christ little by little by little, day by day by day, week by week by week, month by month by month, year by year by year, until you have a lifetime as a believer of being conformed into the image of Christ. You say, will we ever be completely conformed? Not in this life, but we wait for that glorification to which we will share in His full glory once again because of the work of Calvary. The Holy Spirit is given to the church to empower the church, to preach the gospel, to produce godly fruit, to project God's glory. Are you projecting God's glory in your life right now? Are you concerned with that? I meet so many professing Christians who aren't even concerned with projecting the glory of God. I believe this. That one indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that true believer will be concerned above all things with projecting the glory of God. The Spirit will see to it. We see that He empowers the church preach the gospel to produce godly fruit, to project God's glory. And lastly, under this heading of empowering the church, by propelling spiritual gifts. He is the motor behind our giftedness. I don't want you to be confused this morning. Many people in the church have exchanged talent for spiritual gifts. Please don't do that. There are many talented people who will spend an eternity in hell. Don't, don't settle for just being talented. Don't settle for just using your talents for the Lord. You say, well, how do I know the difference between a talent and a gift? Usually a talent you had before you were saved. A gift is something that happened after you were saved because the Spirit indwells you, then propelling you into your giftedness. And so when we look at the Spirit propelling us into the gifts that He has given us, we have to remember this. Because there are so many people who claim Christ but yet sit idly on the sidelines, never using any gift of service and ministry at all for the glory of God, empowered and propelled by the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you today, if you are in Christ, you are gifted by the Spirit who is living in you, and He is that source that drives that giftedness. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a passage of Scripture that always comes up in regard to spiritual gifts and usually begins some type of argument among different people. We won't let it be that to us today. We will see it for what it really is. It says this in verse 1, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. I'm glad that he doesn't want us to be ignorant. I've spent most of my life being just that. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. 
He's saying this. He's writing to the church, and he's going to talk to them about spiritual gifts. He's going to let them know there's some of you who you're arguing over gifts, and you are seeking and coveting other people's gifts. And, and their, their whole attitude towards spiritual gifts at Corinth was wrong. Do not use them as a model of how spiritual gifts ought to be. They were everything that they shouldn't be. He's letting them know. Let's make this simple. He who truly professes Christ, that comes from the Spirit. He who denies Christ, that does not come from the Spirit. Now he's going to go on and he's going to say in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. He says we're all on the same team if we profess Christ. There are different types of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Of course, he's talking about all believing men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We are all given gifts from the Spirit for the common good, the good of the church and the glory of Christ. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Talking about spiritual discernment. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. You look at that original, it says there, glossolalia, which is languages. To another, he says, the interpretation or the interpret, uh, interpretation of tongues or languages. He's saying very clearly here that people are gifted in the church and were gifted in the church then. Let me just let you know this, after the next two chapters, you never see many of these gifts in the church again. And there is a reason in which we will not teach today, but we have taught in the past. But he says this, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. I want you to see the point of this and not get bogged down by all the stuff that people usually get bogged down by. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. It is the Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, who gives each of the individual believers in the church. And why does he do this? Not so that you can parade around and say, ooh, we look at me, what gifts I have. Not so that you can seek after the flashy gifts. He's going to cover all this if you keep reading in Corinthians. We're not going to do that today. In fact, he says you can be the most gifted person in the world, but if you have no love, it's, it's useless. But what he's saying is this. He's saying focus on the giver of the gifts and what he desires to do in his body, the church. Everyone doing their part, operating in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and in his giftedness. Why? Because that is the reason that Christ sent his Spirit to live in you. He petitioned the Father to send you this bestowed advisor to live in you, to teach you and empower you in walking in his gifts to bring God glory and others to Christ. See what this passage is really saying. The Holy Spirit is given to the church to empower the church. And he empowers the church by propelling us to walk in our spiritual gifts. Now watch this. You don't have to take a spiritual gift analysis to know what your spiritual gifts are. You ever been to that class? Where everybody learned what their spiritual gift wasn't so that they could be sad because everybody else was seemingly more gifted than them. If you walk in the Spirit, 
If you yield to the Holy Spirit living in you, He will propel you and guide you into your spiritual giftedness. You might not even know what your spiritual gift is, but others will see it clearly. It will bring God glory. Many times the things that you thought you were gifted in, you weren't gifted in at all. You just wanted to be. We see many Christians who try to do that, to try to fit that square peg into a round hole. I would say this in my time in ministry, often it is that I see people trying to work outside of their spiritual giftedness. And and it's sometimes frustrating because you say your spiritual giftedness is so obvious, yet here you are trying to do this other thing that you are obviously not gifted in, and there is no power in what you're doing. Why? Because it is the Spirit who propels our gifts. Please know that, church. So we see the Holy Spirit is given to empower the church, to preach the gospel, to produce godly fruit, to project God's glory by propelling spiritual gifts in the saints. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the church would just be floundering and failing, lifeless and dead. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to be floundering and failing, lifeless and dead? We can trust in the empowering power of the Holy Spirit as He indwells each of us. Secondly, if you're following along, you could write this down. The Holy Spirit is given to not only empower the church, but to enlighten the church. It is the Holy Spirit who enlightens the church by illuminating the truth. John chapter 16, Jesus speaking to his disciples says this in verse 12. He says, I have much more to say, more than you can bear now. He was telling them, I got things to teach you and things to say to you, but the Holy Spirit is not indwelling you now so that you can know these things. Watch what he says. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will speak only what he hears. It's interesting that so many times in modern Christianity, the so-called Holy Spirit contradicts the Holy Word of God in so many instances. Can I tell you this? that The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. The Word, Logos, the Lord Jesus Christ never contradicts the Father. The Father never contradicts the Spirit, and so on and so forth, as you follow their essence in triunity. It goes on to say in verse 16, of, of chapter 16, verse 14, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. He's going to take what I know, and He's going to enlighten you to that. All that belongs to the Father is mine. Wait, is it the Father's or is it the Son's? Or is it the Spirit who's giving it? All three, all at the same time. You see there, both, as we look, the ontological trinity and the economical trinity working in consistency. All that belongs to the Father's mind, and that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. What is going on here in John chapter 16? He's saying that the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate the truth to true believers. Many people can't figure out why they don't know the truth, right? We look at the lost world. Why can't they see the obvious truth? They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Their eyes are darkened. They're in their unbelief and in their sin. They can't see the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul covers this same teaching. He says, that is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. Paul is saying we are speaking and preaching spiritual things. Isn't that what we do? 
We join together when we open the Word of God. We exposit the Scripture. We speak of spiritual things. That's why the lost person comes in who just wants to be entertained and call it church, and he says, man, I don't like to go to that church down there. All that preacher does is he just quotes the Bible over and over and over and over, and I really don't understand it. It's not very entertaining. It's not appealing to my flesh. But to the believer, the believer who hungers for the Word of God, he feasts, and she feasts upon the Word of God because we know that it's truth. And how do we know that it's truth? Because the Spirit indwelling us illuminates us to that truth. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He can't understand the spiritual things of God without the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's never going to happen. It's not designed that way. But it is designed by God that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the truth to us and for us. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 125, he says, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. You need discernment to understand the Word of God. And if you leave the Holy Spirit's discernment out of the equation, you will struggle in understanding these 66 books. But I encourage you, believer, do this. Before you ever open its pages, kneel before your Father in heaven. Recognize that He has blessed you with a gift that surpasses any price that man could put on it, a gift of the Holy Spirit living in you. And do just this. Holy Spirit, I cannot understand these things that are spiritual. This is the very Word of God. Uh, knowledge that is too high for me to attain on my own. Holy Spirit, give me understanding. Enlighten me to the truth. And sit back and watch Brother, watch, sister, as the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate the truth and the Word of God comes to life and jumps off of the pages and begins to affect every single area of your life and ministry. 1 John chapter 2. John writes this, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray in verse 26. He said, there are those who are leading you astray. We talked about them last week. What do we do about that? He says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. Now, the anointing is a word that is so confused, so miscombobulated in modern Christianity, right? Oh, you're anointed. Can I tell every believer in this room you're anointed, right? You are anointed. You are anointed with the indwelling Holy Spirit to operate in the giftedness that he so desires for you to operate in. He says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now what he's not obviously saying, John, a teacher writing to the church, he's not obviously saying there is no place for gifted teachers in the church, as long as they are gifted teachers, gifted by the Holy Spirit. So of course there's a place for those men. Now pay attention to this. You would be a fool. That's what he's warning them about. Those who sneak in, who lead you astray. You would be a fool not to filter what comes out of my mouth through the Holy Spirit as he illuminates the word of God to you. 
That's how people are led astray. You, you all are from Texas. You remember Waco. You remember David Koresh. You've all seen the documentary. How were they led astray? No one was trusting in the indwelling Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of the Word of God and to give them the discernment that they needed. Holy Spirit enlightens the believer to the truth by illuminating the truth and by discerning spiritual things. I'm thankful that we have the Holy Spirit to aid us in discerning spiritual things, especially in an age where even in the church, they tell you you're wrong if you discern. Isn't that what they're doing now, right? Everyone in the church throwing back at you. When you say, I'm not going to have anything to do with wickedness and godliness, they say, judge not lest you be judged. <laughs> taking it out of context and taking the real meaning away from what Jesus said. Jesus said, condemn or don't condemn so that you're not condemned. What was he talking about? He's talking about unjustly condemning someone. When you don't know all the facts, you don't really know what's going on. You just make an assumption. He's saying, don't by your assumptions condemn anyone. But the scriptures in the New Testament cover spiritual discernment over and over again, telling us that we are to make judgments. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, is John contradicting Jesus here? Or are they misrepresenting what Jesus said? They're misrepresenting what Jesus said. Jesus was not telling us to throw discernment out the window. He's saying don't wrongfully condemn people. I'm thankful that he tells us that. We should never do that, right? Because God is more than able to save anyone. It's not our job to condemn them. John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How do you test the spirits if you don't make a judgment? You don't use discernment. Now, what he's saying here is don't use your own discern through the power of the Holy Spirit because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Here's how you can discern the Spirit of God in others. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Those who say that Jesus is not the Christ, that he is not God in flesh who come, came to redeem sinful man, we got a problem with him. We have to discern that. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. That's why we have to discern this. This is opposed to Christ. It is opposed to Christianity. He says, and you've heard of this, that it's coming, and even now is already in this world. What was John saying? John was saying, trust in the Spirit to discern spiritual things. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul covers it again. He says this in 19. He says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. That's for all you people who are afraid of the Holy Spirit. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Right? Don't be afraid of Him. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Look at everything. He says, test everything. Discern it. And then what does he say to do? Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. What advice we have from the Apostle Paul there. Allow the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives in you to test everything. Why? Because as we saw, there are wolves among the sheep. Don't be afraid to discern those truths. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said it like this. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What is he saying? Be discerning. 
Be shrewd. Don't be foolish. Don't accept everything that has the title Christianity, everything that bears the title Jesus. See that they are biblically sound through the illuminating power and the discerning power of the Holy Spirit in light of the Word of God. Then, embrace that which is good and get rid of that which is evil. Holy Spirit has been given to enlighten the church by illuminating the truth, by discerning spiritual things. So we see that the Spirit has been given. Our bestowed advisor, what a gift. To empower the church, to enlighten the church. Thirdly, and lastly, the Holy Spirit is given to encourage the church. What encouragement we receive from His Spirit living in and through us. Where would we be without the continual encouragement that comes from the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you where I would be. I would find myself in the fetal position somewhere, discouraged and depressed, beat up. But I am thankful that in this battle that we are in, the Holy Spirit, He is indwelling each of us, always there to encourage us as individuals and to encourage us as a whole. He is our encourager. How does He do this? By comforting the believers. By comforting us. I'm so thankful for the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in, in referring to the Holy Spirit here in John chapter 14, calls Him the Counselor. Some of your manuscripts call Him the Advocate, the Comforter. All of those things are proper definitions because He's all of those things all at the same time. But the Greek calls Him the Parakletos, the Paraclete. What does that mean? It means He's the one who comes alongside of us to aid us. He's the one who comes alongside to aid another. He's the advocate, the helper, the comforter. He's the one who, who puts His spiritual embrace around us when it seems like the whole world is caving in on us. Those of you who have walked with the Spirit any amount of time, you know this to be true. You know that in those darkest times, he embraces you internally. He embraces you with a, a peace that surpasses all understanding and in a joy that the world can't even explain. It is joy, unspeakable joy. You know what I'm talking about. When you get that phone call, that bad news, whatever it is, we've all been there to some degree at some point in time. And immediately, because it went into your fleshly ears, your tendency is to jump into the flesh. But something happens in the life of a true believer, and I'm so thankful for that something, or better put, someone who has happened in the life of a true believer, the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit, in that moment becomes the comfort that we cannot even begin to explain. I'm thankful the indwelling Holy Spirit, that gift of comfort that is always with us. You know, in Romans chapter 8, which is so rich in theology, those sections of Romans, all of Romans really, but those sections 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, so rich. 
And it's so rich that sometimes we lose some important things in the richness. And this is one of those texts that we lose many times. But look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Man, I'm so thankful for that. Just to, to be brutally honest with each of you, most of the time I'm weak. In and of myself, I have no strength at all that's going to help me in the spiritual battle that we're in. But he says, the Spirit helps us, that paraclete, coming alongside of us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever been there? You closed your door in your prayer closet and you got on your knees and nothing came because you were so overwhelmed with the suffering and the agony of your soul, maybe even your flesh. You didn't even know what to say. Church, listen to me. It's okay. He does. See the words from Scripture here. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Unbeknownst to you. When you're there and you have nothing to say because you have just received the worst news of your life. You are hurting like you have never hurt before. Whether that be hurt feelings or literal hurt from a loss or mourning. The advocate. This blessed gift from the Father because the request of the Son, the Holy Spirit, He's praying on our behalf. And every single one of His prayers make it through perfectly. Why? Because He is perfect God. That's the beauty of it, to know that He's the third person of a triune God. He didn't send us some, some rent a comforter. He sent us the very Holy Spirit of God to live in us. And He is interceding for us in words and groans that we can't even understand. Why? They are too big for our understanding. Remember, you couldn't come up with words. You just received the worst news of your life. You're in the darkest moment of your existence and you're there on your face. And you know what? Though you don't have the words to say, He's interceding for you. Oh, church, be encouraged by that this morning. Because we will all find ourselves there at one time or another. It is life. But I am thankful that He is here, that we may endure this time on earth. It's the Holy Spirit who comforts us in our weaknesses, in our mournings, our sufferings, our trials. Watch this, believer. Even in our failures. Oh, so many times when we fail, we confess our sin and we have the desire to repent of our sin. We feel like we're still not able to approach God. And it is in those times that the Holy Spirit makes His presence known. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Yes, Kirkall, you did blow it. And yes, you probably will blow it again, and you have blown it many times, but you are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and there is nothing, neither height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things above the earth, things below the earth, nothing in all of God's creation that will ever be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We'll be thankful today for the encouragement that the Holy Spirit gives by comforting the believer. Constant 
indwelling. Constant peace. John said in John chapter 14, as he quoted Jesus there in verse 27, when Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How can he give us this peace? And where does this peace come from? This peace comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit that he just promised in the text that precedes verse 27. So we see the Holy Spirit is given to encourage the church by comforting the believers. Secondly, by communing with believers. Our communion rests in the Holy Spirit's indwelling. We commune with the Father, we commune with the Son, and we commune by the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives in each of you who are true believers here today. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no communion. What a privilege it is. For Jesus says there that he will, though he is with you now, he will live in you in verse 17 of chapter 14. And then he goes on in verse 18, and he reminds them again, I will not leave you as orphans. What encouragement comes from that? He will never leave me as an orphan. And the Spirit is inside of me, constantly reminding me that I am His. I'm His. And He has purchased me by His blood. I have been redeemed off of the slave block of sin, never to return to that slave block again. I am his son. You are his daughters if you are in Christ forever. Oh, the communion that we have with God through the Holy Spirit. What endless encouragement we should receive from just that one simple truth. Holy Spirit is given to encourage the church by comforting the believers, by communing with the believers but also this by confirming the believers. The Holy Spirit is He who lives inside of us to confirm that we are truly Christ, that we do truly belong to Him. In fact, there are many people who try to say this. They try to say that a person can be saved and later on receive the Holy Spirit. Well, the only problem with that is that's not biblical at all. In fact, Romans chapter 8 says this. Pay attention to it. Verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he's talking to believers. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Now watch what he says next. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. There's no such thing as a believer who does not possess the indwelling Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. No such thing. Now what happens? I can't tell you what happens in that person as an individual. I wasn't there. But many times what happens is people are not truly saved. And then when they're saved, the indwelling of power of the Holy Spirit becomes evident in their life, and, and they won't buy into the fact that they weren't truly saved. So what they do, they create a whole new doctrine. This is the second blessing that I received. There is one blessing. He is Christ, and Christ is a package deal. When he said, it is finished, it was finished. And if we are in Christ, the Spirit lives in us. He says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. If you don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit living in you and leading you, you are not truly a son of God. You have not truly surrendered to Christ. Surrender to Christ today. He is the one who confirms the true believer. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of this. He says, and you also were included in Christ. Verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, when did this happen? Believe. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. When? At belief. What is the seal? He is, as it says, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of His glory. What encouragement we receive from the Spirit as believers there. He is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Well, I'm thankful we didn't say your perfection guarantees your inheritance, Kurt. Your good deeds, your work, you getting it right all the time. No, it is the Holy Spirit who indwells us, the gift from the Father because of the request of the Son, the Spirit living in us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until you mess it up. No, until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We're His, purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ to the praise of His glory. What encouragement we receive knowing that the indwelling Holy Spirit lives in us as a deposit guaranteeing our redemption. It's good news, isn't it? Because if you're like me, I hope you're not, but if you are, there are those times where you choose your will over the will of God. We call that sin, biblically. You know what the greatest comfort to me is when I do blow it? The convicting power of the Holy Spirit in my life who won't let me stay there. He confirms to me again that He is that deposit guaranteeing my redemption. You will not live as you once lived. And I'm living in you to encourage you never again to be what Christ paid for you not to be. Thankful, encouraged by the indwelling Holy Spirit. I pray that you would be as well. He encourages the church by comforting the believers, by communing with the believers, by confirming the believers, confirming your true faith. You want to know if you're saved today? Does the Holy Spirit live in you? I want to help everyone out. If you can live any way that you want to live and you're never convicted about a single thing, the Holy Spirit does not live in you. You are not born again. You must be saved. You must be born again. It's that simple. For the believer, we're receiving constant encouragement from the Holy Spirit to be holy for the Lord our God is holy by confirming that we are true believers. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is given to encourage the church by counseling the believers. Counseling us. Oh, we need it. We need guidance. We need counseling. In fact, John 14, verse 26, Jesus calls him that counselor. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. We need that from the Spirit, don't we? To be reminded of all the promises of God. Can you imagine John... As he wrote that down, John 14, verse 26. St. John wrote this in his gospel. He said that if I were to write down everything that the Lord had taught me, not even the whole world could contain the volumes of books. Can you imagine John sitting there going, how am I going to remember all of this? 
I find myself there many times listening to preachers who are far better than I, saying, how in the world am I going to remember? I don't just say all of this, any of this. But it's interesting how when we hide the Word of God in our heart, we consume the words of truth. How the indwelling Holy Spirit is faithful to remind us of that wise counsel from God. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. That dark hour that we spoke of a moment ago where you were suffering and you needed comfort and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a Scripture verse to your mind and to your heart that you didn't even know you remembered. And along with that Scripture verse, there's a song that is attached that, that sings those same words. And in your heart, you began to sing with joy in your heart, even in the midst of adversity. You began to sing that song. And before you know it, not only is that song in your heart and that scripture in your heart, those things begin to come off of your lips in the form of praise. And then before you know it, those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit will begin to do as Paul and Silas did in the jail that night. They began to sing praise to the Lord from the overflow of their heart. They weren't pleased with the circumstance they were in. Their flesh hated it, but they loved God and the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of them began to boil and that fire was cut loose in the form of praise. And we know the story. Pardon me if I get excited. The jail door flew open and they were set free. Why? It all started with that little fire of the Holy Spirit who is no little fire at all. He began that work in them there. And before you know it, came out of their lives? Is it coming out of your life? The fact that the Spirit lives in you, is it coming out of your life? You praise Him in the midst of a storm, overwhelmed by His peace and His comfort, His counsel that He gives to us in the midst of our trouble. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19. But when they arrest you, oh, thanks, Lord. That's for all the charismatics who are selling this idea that the Christian life is supposed to be peachy and rosy. <laughs> and Jesus starts the conversation by, oh yeah, but, but when they arrest you, now you know Peter said this, I didn't sign up for this. I was just, I was cleaning my nets. I didn't know anything about going to jail. Jesus said, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what you say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. Why? There's a counselor who lives in you. You'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Oh, can you imagine Paul in that jail cell as he's chained to Onesimus the slave owned by Paul's dear friend Philemon? Paul didn't want to be in that dark cell. But the indwelling Holy Spirit with the gospel message would not let Paul shut up and he preached the gospel to Onesimus and Onesimus was saved. Restored to Philemon, this time not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Oh, we should all be thankful, shouldn't we? The encouragement that comes to the church through the Holy Spirit. Oh, may the church, may each of you as the individual parts of the body, be encouraged this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where, where would we be? 
had the Lord God not bestowed the gift of the Holy Spirit upon us. May I encourage you this morning, let us walk in step with His Spirit. Everything that we do and everything that we say, may we walk in the counsel of the bestowed advisor, the gift that God has given us to live in and through us, seeking His wisdom, His direction, His knowledge. If you're not a believer here today, let me just tell you this, the only way that I know how. You have not and you cannot reap the benefits of the indwelling Holy Spirit, this wonderful gift that we have talked about today. For the Holy Spirit does not live in you. You cannot acquire the Holy Spirit on your own, but you must repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ in faith, believing that He is the only one who can save you from sin, that He died on a cross in your place to bear the wrath of God in your stead so that you could receive his righteousness and be saved? Or would you turn to Christ today in repentance and faith as your Lord and as your Savior? And in doing so, you will, as the Scripture proclaims, receive the Holy Spirit. This bestowed advisor, this wonderful gift from the Father. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for your word that all of it is true. God, we thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for all the things that we have seen that you do, can do, will do as you indwell your people, those who have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. God, I pray today that the Christians in this room who are not yielding to you, who are quenching you in any way, that you would break them by the same Spirit who lives in them. That you would bring them to confession and repentance. Lord, I pray for the lost, that your Spirit would draw them out of darkness. You would regenerate them to new life and faith and repentance, trust in Christ. And we'll give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness. Thank you.